Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1. pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much um, for this special morning you've blessed us with. So we settle our hearts now before you. So we have just a special time, Lord, to draw near to you as we sing, as we open your word now, to have you minister to our hearts. For you said, Lord, that your sheep hear your voice, and they follow you. And so, would you speak to our hearts this morning? We need to hear your voice desperately, Lord. So many voices, some good, some bad, some indifferent. We want to hear yours this morning. To have you touch and transform our lives to continue the good work you've begun. And so we give you our hearts this morning. We give you our attention. May we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And we thank you ahead of time for the great work, the fresh work of your Spirit that you're going to do for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So just by way of reminder, as we get into uh, the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to... Um, remember, it's the churches that he had planted in that region of modern-day Turkey, kind of like that northern central area, um, that region. Um, Paul had been there on his first missionary journey and had gone there to share the gospel, and God did a radical work by his spirit. Tons of people getting saved, churches were planted, and then Paul left. Paul left that area, headed back to the church of Antioch. That was kind of like the, the sending church um, where Paul and Barnabas left from. And so he comes back, and then after a certain amount of time, I think it was a couple of years, that Paul hears that there's some problems in the churches of Galatia. And it seems like that happened with Paul a few times, didn't it? With the Corinthians also, we learned, and Paul had to send some corrective letters to them. But Paul's writing to these churches that were falling into the danger of legalism. They were now adding to the complete work of Jesus Christ that he did for us on the cross. And in fact, here's what happened. They received the good news of Jesus Christ. They got saved. They got born again. Their lives changed and transformed. And then when Paul left, a group of teachers came in. We know them as Judaizers. Um, They came in and told the believers, hey, listen, it's not that simple. There's some rules now you need to follow, and the rules we're speaking about, the the Old Testament laws, you need to get circumcised, you need to follow um, this rule, this regulation, this tradition, Um, get circumcised. If you're not, you're not right with God. You need to maintain and attain righteousness before God. And we know when Jesus died on the cross, in his final breath, he said, it is what? It is finished, paid in full, your sin debt, my sin debt, paid in full. And when we we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only are our sins forgiven, forgotten, gone forever, but also God imputes his righteousness to our account. Is that good news this morning? Is that like amenable stuff or no? We can't earn that righteousness. We don't work for it. We don't deserve it. It's by God's grace that, as Isaiah wrote, that we're robed in this, we're robed in his righteousness. And it's glorious. And it's all because of what Jesus has done for us. All we've done is put our faith and trust in him. And so these people were adding to grace. It was religion. It's religiosity is what it is. It's man's attempt to get to God. It's, it's adding something to the work of Jesus Christ, our own efforts, our own works. And Christianity is God getting to us, is reaching out to us and rescuing us and setting us free and making us his very own. And, and it's good news because I can't follow the rules. I can't keep the rules. I'm a rule, are, aren't we rule breakers? Are we rule breakers? 
That's like 80% of the room. So let me ask you a question. Do you ever see those white signs on the side of the road with numbers? There's like a 45, 55. How are you guys doing? Speed suggestions, yeah. How, how are we doing? We break the law, don't we? We break the rules. We're rule breakers. And if I'm trying to live by rules, then I'm sunk. And so Jesus kept the rules and died for us, lawbreakers, that we might be forgiven, given a fresh start, given his righteousness. It's all because of what Jesus has done. And so Paul said the gospel that these people were, were bringing to them was not good news. It was an abomination. In fact, anybody teaching something different than the good news that we have, um, Paul said they're to be damned. They're to be cursed to the lowest hell. And Paul said he included himself. If I bring you a gospel that's not according to what you've received, then let me be accursed. If an angel brings you another gospel, let that angel be accursed. It's that serious. It's deadly because God is concerned about our souls and he's done everything he can to rescue us, to save us by sending his son to take our place, to die for us on the cross and to rise again on the third day to rescue us. And so the gospel is not... Uh, Jesus plus rules. It's Jesus alone who saves us. Amen? And so Paul is beginning here. He goes on. We, we finished in verse 10, and so we're in verse 11 now. And Paul's going to get like really autobiographical in this section. Um, so let's jump in. Verse 11, God's word says, Paul writes, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Paul reminds them, listen, brethren, the gospel that I received, I shared with you, was I wasn't taught this gospel. I didn't receive it. It's not according to man. It was given to me by the Lord himself. And so remember, what what does gospel mean, by the way? Good news, right? We talked about this last week. There's a, there's a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a simple, in a nutshell, what the gospel is. I'm going to read it really quick, just by way of reminder. I'm going to be a little technical this morning. Not too technical, but there's some verses I think we need to have as kind of uh, in our hearts or in our, in our heads and in our hearts for sure. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said to the church there, For I delivered to you... First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel right there in a nutshell. Okay? So simple, isn't it? But it's the pow- that is the power of God unto salvation, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so Paul, it says, he says there, it was preached by him. That word preach means to proclaim or to announce the good news. And he says, men didn't give it to me. Man did not invent this gospel. Man can't perform it. It's not according to man. It's heavenly, isn't it? Would you come up with this program to save, to save human beings, you guys? It's odd. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? God's sending his son to die for us. I mean, would you send your child to die for anybody? I mean, it's so, it's, it's, but it's so amazing. It's so glorious, so simple, so glorious. Man couldn't come up with this. And, and by the way, as Paul's addressing these legalists, man-made religion tries to change you on the outside by adding rules, by adding traditions, all of these things while Christianity is being transformed from the inside out. It's a transformation that God does when he comes into our hearts. It's supernatural. It's glorious. And Paul is reminding them because they're exhibit A of God's work of his spirit. When Paul came, he shared the gospel they received and their lives were changed. Just like, has your life been changed? Transformed by the Lord? And so, by the way, the pressure's off. You know the pressure's off? Because of Jesus, you can allow him to work in your life and through your life as you look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The pressure is off of us. He breaks the power of sin in our lives. He comes into our hearts 
and he enables us to walk in the things that he calls us to walk in. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And so Paul says, it was not taught. I didn't receive it from man, but it came how? Verse 12, through the revelation of Jesus Christ, uncovered. That's what revelation means. Unveiled by Jesus to the apostle Paul, directly from the Lord, uniquely, beautifully. And by the way, in spiritual life, we need revelation from heaven. Do you know what I'm talking about? In spiritual life, we need revelation from heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to flip over there real quick. A couple books to the left. In spiritual life, we need revelation from heaven. You guys remember what Paul wrote here. This is crucial. Paul said in verse 9, But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But, verse 10 says, God has revealed them to us. How? Through his spirit. Did you hear that? The things that God has for us, he reveals to us by his spirit. It's revealed. It's by revelation. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And Paul goes on to say, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The contrast is the natural man. The person that hasn't received Jesus Christ, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. So the person that gives their life to the Lord, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, takes residence, right, in our lives. And what happens? Now we understand spiritually. Are you with me? Do you guys remember before you got saved reading your Bible? Was it all Greek to you also? It's like, what in the world is this talking about? But then what happens? Then the Holy Spirit, I mean, isn't that a miracle? God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your heart and in your life. And what happens? Now you're online spiritually. You, you're now able to connect the dots spiritually. You know where you came from. You know where you're going. You understand the word of, it goes from words on a page to life to the Lord speaking to our hearts and meeting us and and changing us and transforming us from the inner core of our being. The natural man, the the man that lives after his fallen nature, it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to him. In fact, I talked to somebody this morning about it. They didn't want to hear it. They wanted to get out of here as quick as possible. You ever see people run out of church as quick as possible? (laughs) When's this going to get over? What's he talking about? You drug me to church. You don't get it because you're not online spiritually. The scriptures are spiritually discerned. Those things need to be revealed to us from the Lord. And isn't it glorious once you become born again, when you're alive spiritually? May you understand these things and you understand what life is all about. You get it, so to speak. And so Paul, back to Galatians chapter 1, spiritual life, we need revelation from heaven. And God gave him that. And Paul's like, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, this message is from God. This message I'm sharing with you is from God. My message is from God. Theirs, the Judaizers, these false teachers, their message is not from God. It's man-made. It's something they made up. And so, listen, is, the, is, is this from God, you guys? Do you believe that? If you believe this is from God, this should be the most important influence in your life. It should be the most important influence in my life. If we truly believe that this is God's word, it's from heaven. If it's from men, if it's just from men, it's a dangerous lie. And we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even open it. But if it is from God, it should be the most important thing, in our most important influence in our lives. And the, the Bible you have in your hands, it is a miracle. Did you know that this morning? 66 books, 40 different authors, three different languages written on three different continents over 1,600 years. And guess what? It all is singular in theme and purpose. It all points to Jesus Christ. That's miraculous. Archaeology backs it up. History backs it up. This, This book is alive and powerful. It changes our lives. 
It should be the most important influence in our lives, brothers and sisters. And Paul knew that. Paul's reminding the church, listen, you know what happened when I came and preached. Your lives were changed. They were transformed. In fact, that's proof that this book is from God. This message is from God. And so a radical work of God's Spirit happened there in the region of Galatia. And Paul continues. Look what he says in verse 13. I'm going to read down to verse 17. Paul says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for what? For the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, so awesome, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul's continuing this autobiographical account of what happened in his life, and he's sharing with us his testimony. Do you have a testimony this morning? Is that testimony this morning? This is what God did in my life, how I came to know Jesus. Are you guys, you guys know what a testimony is? You do? You guys ever seen those before and after commercials? Have you guys ever seen those? Like the fountain of, it's the fountain of youth cream. And the before picture is like someone that looks like a prune, all pruned up. And then afterwards they put, they look oh, like radiant and sh- like, a, like a grape now. <laughs> it's reversed. The whole thing's reversed. Or, or you guys, don't, dude, you know what I'm talking about? The ab roller, gut buster. And they show a guy with, a, you know, like Santa Claus first, before. And then after, he's got like the six-pack. He's all chiseled. You know what I'm talking about? And like, what in the world could produce a change like that? What could... I, I got to get... I have to get that. You know what I'm talking about? You guys ever buy those things? Anybody ever buy those things? Don't, it's okay. Don't be lying in church. I know some of you do, do buy some stuff like that. But you're wondering, what in the world could produce that change? That's what happened in our lives. This is what I once was before I came to know Jesus. This is what a testimony is. This is what I once was. Then I came to know Jesus personally, and this is my life after I came to know the Lord Jesus personally. And sometimes you hear a testimony, and it glorifies their... Someone comes up and shares, and they glorify their past. You know, I was a, I was a druggie and a gangbanger, and, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, and hallelujah, drop the mic, see you later. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever heard a testimony like that? It's like, who gets the glory? You glorified your past. It's Jesus who gets the glory. He gets the credit. And then there's some people, though, you hear that testimony, and you grew up in the church your whole life. I just got saved at VBS when I was eight, and (laughs) Pastor Mike dunked me in the water when I was 10, and... I've been in the church my whole life. I think, personally, I think that's the greatest testimony to the keeping power of Jesus Christ. You're still walking with the Lord. You haven't deviated from the course. The Word of God is still the most important influence in your life. And there are some, though, too, also, sometimes it's hard to share, some, share with someone who grew up in a Christian home because they think they're okay but they've never come into a personal relationship with the Lord. They may still be holding on to their parents' faith and not a real trust in Jesus Christ on their own. And there may be someone here this morning, that's you. You're you're thinking you're going to ride your parents' coattails into heaven. No, you need to come to know Jesus personally. He loves you and died for you also personally and rose again to rescue and to save you and to lead you each day of your life from here out. And so Paul explains first what kind of person he was. Look what he says. Look what it says to me. Verse 13, Paul had a reputation. Look what it says. For you have heard of what? My former conduct in Judaism. You heard about how I was a Jewish religious man. Really, he was a Jewish religious monster, wasn't he? 
And he tells us why. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. So what was Paul's former conduct? As a religious man in this religious system, what did he do? He persecuted the church beyond measure, off the Richter, if you will. And what else? He tried to destroy the church. He tried to wipe it out. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'm going to flip over there. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I think it's important we understand what was going on. I'm going to read the verses. And this is, remember when Stephen got stoned? Chapter 7, the Apostle Paul was formerly known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, right? And he says here, it says here about him, he was consenting to his death, consenting to Stephen's death. He gave the, he was supervising Stephen getting stoned, being martyred. And he said, yep, thumbs up, take him out, kill him. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And then in verse 3, as for Saul, he made a havoc of the church, entering, check this out, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So just, just put yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine the... Religious police come into your house and your spouse getting drugged off to be beaten, to be murdered. Listen, that was a reality. That's a reality around the world. And it may, listen, it may even come here, by the way. It may be happening here soon. Who knows? But it's a reality. And what does persecution do? It, it really, it toughens up our faith. The wheat is separated from the chaff. If you will, you know what I'm talking about? Wheat separated from chaff. It strengthens the church. And not only that, we see what happened. The church was, was there in Jerusalem, and now they be, the persecution hits, and what happens? They start to spread out. The salt gets out of the shaker, so to speak, if you will. The salt of the earth. Now they're getting sprinkled all over, sharing the gospel in all these different other regions. So a good thing came out of the persecution, but it's heavy. It's heavy. Some of the places we go around the world, to Cuba and to, to Russia, and hearing some of the pastor's testimonies about the, the persecution that they face, it's gnarly, man. It's heavy. And yet the Lord will give us what we need in that time. He will give us the grace that we need as we look to him. Do you, do you believe that this morning? Is his grace sufficient? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so um, Paul... Perhaps the, the church thought he was an unlikely candidate. I, I wonder, I think Stephen, I know Stephen prayed for him. I wonder if anybody else was praying for him, for this guy Saul at the time. And by the way, if you are hurting people, killing them, and you think you're doing God a service, that you're helping God, you don't know God and you don't know Jesus. So Jesus said that in John chapter 16. If you are, if you are killing Christians or hurting Christians, and you think you're doing God a service? Jesus said, you don't know God. You don't know Jesus the Lord. And so Paul tells us what was going on in his life. Let's flip back to Galatians 1. And he says, that's the fruit of his life, what was going on, the persecution, the destruction of the church. And he said, and here's really the root, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, and he tells us what, what he was doing, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So Paul went overboard in Judaism. In fact, Paul gave us, check this out, if you're taking notes, Philippians chapter 3, Paul gave us his religious credentials in that chapter. He said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, he said, I followed the rules better than everyone else. I was such a good rule keeper. Look at my religious credentials. But then he said, remember what he said after that? He said, everything I worked for, all of these religious accolades, everything I worked for, I count as dung. I count as manure. In comparison to knowing Jesus Christ personally, I count it all a loss. 
That's in the loss column. In the gain column is Jesus Christ alone, is the idea. And so Paul says he was more exceedingly zealous. What does that mean, more exceedingly zealous? It means you're boiling over with passion. For what? For the tradition of my fathers, for man-made external ordinances. And you know what? Paul wrongly thought that this was making him and keeping him righteous before God. How do we know that? Romans chapter 10. If you're taking notes, I told you to be a little technical. Flipping over to Romans 10. This is crucial this morning. Romans 10. Romans 10. Paul wrote there, first First couple verses, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He's like, I'm praying for my countrymen, the Jews, and my prayer, my heart is that they get saved. For I bear them witness, I'm going on record, that they have a zeal for God. They're excited about God, but not according to knowledge. Oh, they're excited about spiritual things. They're excited about God. But guess what? It's without knowledge. They're lacking what's absolutely crucial. Zeal without knowledge, he says, and he explains what he's talking about. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Did you guys catch that? Did you guys catch that? Sort of. What, what were they doing? They were ignorant about God's righteousness. They were, trying to, they were trying to establish their own righteousness. How? By their own works, by their keeping of rules, keeping of traditions. And it said there also they have not submitted or surrendered to the righteousness of God. And he, said, he qualifies it for Christ. Listen, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They haven't submitted to God's program. Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. Why? Because when we surrender to him, what happens? Boom, imputed to your account and my account, God's righteousness. Does that make sense? And Paul's like, I was zealous for these traditions. What did Jesus say about the traditions of men? Did he have anything to say good about those? You guys remember in the Gospels? You guys remember? Their traditions superseded the Word of God. You guys remember? You guys remember talking at all? You know what I'm talking about here? Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Jesus said this. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, Jesus said, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God. Why? That you may keep your tradition. Did you guys catch that? So they're so, they're so focused. They're ma- Here's what they're doing. They're majoring in the minors keeping all the rules and regulations, and they laid aside the word of God to keep their little rules and traditions. And what was the fruit of that? What was the fruit of that in their lives? They became critical and sin-sniffing and fault-finding. That's what legalism does. That's what man-made rules do. Regulations and laws and traditions do is it turns us into critical sin-sniffers. Sad. And then ultimately, if we allow that to play out, to hurt people, to harm people. And so Paul, that's where Paul was. Paul sharing his testimony. This is what I was like before. This is where this will lead you. Church, he's saying to the Galatians, this is where that's going to lead you, to where I once was. But then he says what happened in his life. Look what it says to me. This is crucial. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through 
His grace. Notice how Paul came to know Jesus personally. Jesus intervened in Paul's life. Did, did Jesus do that in your life? Did Jesus inter, intervene in your life? Remember what happened? Acts chapter 9. You guys remember that? Saul breathing threats. He's still ticked off. What does he do? He goes get some letters. He goes on a business trip to Damascus. Right? He's got the letters. He's got the approval of the, the religious mafia there in Jerusalem to go and round up Christians in Damascus. Since the persecution drove people out, he's going now to hunt them down. And he's cruising with some of his boys, right? They're heading up north to Damascus, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus shows up. The light shines on him. You guys remember that? Remember that? Light shines on him, blinded. He sees the Lord. And Jesus says to him, what? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What was Paul doing? He was persecuting the church. But listen, when the church is persecuted, Jesus sees that as him being persecuted. When God's people are being harmed and, and harassed and hassled, he sees it as it coming against him. But doesn't that happen when our kids or something bad happens to our kids at school? They're getting hassled. Parents, don't you feel it yourself too? You know what I'm talking about? I see some smiles. You know what I'm talking about? And he said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, against the pricks. It's hard. You're, you're fighting this. You're fighting this work. I'm trying to get a hold of your heart. And who are you, Lord? Remember, that's what he said. Who, Saul said, who are you, Lord? It's me, Jesus, who you're persecuting. Can you imagine just the explosion in his head? Oh, man. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And he reached out to me. And that's where Paul got rescued on the road to Damascus. And Paul's like, listen, as I look back, look at verse 15. As I look back, it was God who separated me. And it didn't begin on the road to Damascus. But from the day I was born, I was separated for this relationship with God. Paul looks back and sees God's hand on his life from day one, even before he came to know Jesus. Has that happened to you? Can you look back and see God's hand on your life? Before you came to know, you look back now. Anybody here look back now and go, man, wow, that wasn't an accident. This dude came into my life. This, this accident I got into wasn't an accident. This jacked up situation wasn't, wasn't on a coincidence. This was you, Lord, all along bringing me to that place where I might come to know you. I mean, I think about when Paul was at Mars Hill. Remember when Paul was at Mars Hill? He was sharing with all the philosophers of the day. And he, he, he shares this amazing sermon. And he talks about God has pre-appointed our times and our boundaries. Where you were born and when you were born, that you might come to know him personally. Is that amazing? Did you know that this morning? God pre-appointed your times and your boundaries, where you'd be born, when you'd be born, that you would come to know him. He's, he, in other words, let me put it street level. He stacked the deck in his favor that you might come to know him. Every, he's done everything he can to reach your heart, to rescue you, to save you. And Paul looks back, God working in his life. And by the way, there's a play on words. That word separated is the same word for Pharisee. In the Greek. Isn't that interesting? Because the Pharisees, it meant we're separated ones. We're separated from all the common people. We're not like you. And Paul looks back and says, it was God separating me unto himself for this relationship. Notice what else he says. It gets even better. Look what it says. He never knew the voice of God. It was all up in his head. And then Jesus called him. Called me through his grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It was his kindness. It was his favor. It was his love, his acceptance. God brought me into this relationship. He called me and I answered. It wasn't by my efforts. I was on the warpath. It was his amazing grace. And by the way, I skipped part of that verse. Did anybody notice that? Anybody notice that I skipped part of that verse? Nobody? Look at the first few words of that verse. Look what it says. But when it pleased God. 
This pleased God. Listen, this morning, your rescue, your deliverance, your reconciliation. Do you know that pleased God that made him happy? That's amazing to consider this morning. We were created for his pleasure, Revelation 4.12. Created for a relationship, created to bring him pleasure. This brings God pleasure, brought God pleasure. Setting you free, making you his very own. What did Paul want to do? Or what did God want to do in Paul's life? Look at the next verse, verse 16. To reveal his son in me. Is that radical? Anybody think that's pretty radical? Awesome. Anybody this morning? Can I illustrate? I see a lot of blank stares. Can I illustrate this morning? Growing up, I played baseball, and I always wanted to hit like this dude named George Brett. Anybody remember George Brett? Kansas City Royals. I used to get, I wore his number five. I got my hair cut like him at Supercuts, parted down the middle, feathered back. I imitated the way he wore his pants, his uniform. I imitated his stance, but you know what? I could never hit like him. I always hit like Mike Robertson. But if George Brett could come and live in my heart and live in me, guess what? I could hit just like him. But you know what the miracle that happened in your life is that Jesus came into your heart and in your life. And what does, it say? what does God want to do through your life? He wants to reveal Jesus. That word revelation, it's apocalypsis. It's apocalypse. To reveal, to unveil through your life, Jesus Christ to people around you. Not promote Jesus, but in and through your life. The greatest Christian that ever lived is living in your heart. And God now wants to reveal him, to reveal his son, Paul says, in me. To make Jesus known. To make him, isn't that glorious? To make him known. It's not just about what, Jesus, what God does through us, but what he does in us. The transformation, the change, he's concerned about our hearts. Listen, when, when people look at your life, is Jesus revealed in you? That's really the question this morning. When people look at your life, is Jesus revealed in you? Maybe you're wondering, I don't know. You can ask your spouse. Is Jesus revealed in me? Ask your kids. Our kids know, don't they? They have a baloney meter. They know whether or not you're the real deal. <laughs> Ask your kids, hey, is, is, is Jesus being revealed in dad? Do you see Jesus in my life? Are you with our kids? Ask your parents. Hey, mom, do you see Jesus in me? And, and, and maybe you're saying, you know what, not so much. It's okay this morning. Because you know what you need to do? You need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, help. Maybe you're not shining as bright as you used to. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, didn't he? Did Jesus say that? It's you and you alone are the light of the world. You come back to Jesus. You get filled up. And he might be revealed in your life. Maybe that's never been the case. Then you need to come to Jesus this morning. Say, say Lord, I, I need you. There's no, being, there's no revealing of you through my life. And that's okay. You come, you've come to the, it's not an accident you're here this morning. It's not an accident you're listening. God loves you. He's brought you to this place to surrender to him, that he might do a work in you and through you. That's, what, that's God's desire. Paul recognized it. Do we recognize it this morning? It's, it's super crucial. And so look what he says next. Just say like John the Baptist, may I be decreasing that he would be increasing. I need to decrease. You increase. Well, what's one way we can reveal or make Jesus known? Paul said that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That word preach means to proclaim. It means to herald, yes. It means to proclaim. But it also means to talk about or to make known. We can all do that, can't we? we can, when's the last time you talked about Jesus outside of church? Do you talk about him with your kids, with your family? Where the Lord leads your feet. That's something we all, that's a way to reveal Jesus is to talk about him. And notice it's not talk about rules or traditions. It's to talk, we preach him, a person, Jesus Christ. And it's continually among who? What, is this? what does your Bible say? 
You guys still with me this morning? Among the, the what does your Bible say? Among the Gentile. What's a Gentile? That's somebody that's really calm and tender. What's a Gentile? Non-Jew. It's someone that's not Jewish. This, I think this is amazing, by the way. That was Paul's primary call was to non-Jews. So who does God call to reach these people? A Jew of Jews, a fanatical Jew. And what was the deal? Remember, the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And so you're going to send me, Lord, to these people? That's amazing, isn't it? But doesn't God do unexpected, awesome things in our lives? And God gave him everything he needed to reach those people. Why? Because God loves them. Do you know God loves Gentiles? God loves terrorists. Did you guys know that? God loves Democrats and Republicans. And make sure you guys are still with me this morning. Just make sure we're together. God loves the president and the president-elect and the Congress. He sent his son to die for them. The co-workers that are nasty, the kids that are mean. And what does God want to do with our lives? He wants to reveal his son to them through you, through me. Whether it's by talking about him or the way that we live our lives. Listen, Jesus said, you are the salt of... Didn't he say something about salt too? You're the light of the world and what? Salt of the earth. What does salt do? (gasps) Preserves, right? This planet's not getting any better. Is it? Is it getting gooder and gooder? It's getting what? Worse. But we're a preservative of truth, of light. What else does salt do? Brings flavor, doesn't it? Does salt bring flavor? Is your, there's some flavor in your life? Or are you just kind of bland, kind of nondescript? <laughs> what else does salt do? You ever have a wound? Sore throat? You gargle with, what, chocolate milk? What do you gargle with? Salt water? Right, you get a cut. You don't swim in Galveston. You go to the Pacific and a little better there for salt water. What else does salt do? It creates a, creates a what? A thirst. Is your life creating a thirst for the Lord? Are you with me this morning? God wants to use our lives in that way. Let your light so shine before men that they what? See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not stick your light under, not go hiding and hoarding. Some of you will get that later. Don't hide your light under a bushel but what, or under a basket. Let your light shine wherever the Lord has you. And Paul's like, the Lord rescued me on the road to Damascus to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him to the Gentiles. Awesome. God uses us in unexpected, awesome ways. And then look what else he says as we finish out the chapter. He says... He says, uh, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to where? To Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw, n- I saw none of the other apostles except who? James, the Lord's brother, Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed, before God I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And look at verse 24, isn't this great? And they glorified God in me. So here's the last part of the testimony. First part, BC, before you came to know Christ, what your life was like, then you came to know Jesus. Now, what life is like afterwards. 
And Paul says what happened. He gets rescued by Jesus. He comes to know Jesus personally. And what does he do? He didn't consult with men. It says, right? He didn't go to the church headquarters in Jerusalem. He didn't visit the varsity team of apostles, right? Is that what he said? Loose paraphrase. He didn't go see the the apostles who were before me. But what did he do? He went to Arabia. Is that what it said? And then came back to Damascus? Remember what happened to Paul? When he got saved, he was sharing. It got turbulent. Got let down the wall in the basket. Remember the end of, was it 2 Corinthians? He got let down in a basket through the wall, right? And where did he, where did he take off to? To, Dema- to the Arabia, to the desert alone. I think there's something very simple in that. Paul got alone with God. Can I ask you a question this morning? When was the last time you got alone with God? Is it important to get alone with God? It is, isn't it? That we spend time alone hearing from the Lord. In Mark chapter 1, if you're taking notes, you can check it out later. It's like the longest day ever in Jesus' life that's recorded. It's so long. He starts by going to church. He goes to church, right? He's teaching at church. Demoniac dude gets set free at church, right? They go from church over to Simon Peter's house. His mother-in-law's sick. Remember that? She gets healed. Boom. And then all night long, they're bringing sick people, demon-possessed people, and Jesus is doing what? Healing them, ministering. I don't think it was like, okay, next, take a number. He ministered to them, loving people. And then it says in that chapter, go back and read it, before the sun even came up, he went to a solitary place to get alone with the Father. Quiet time, listen, quiet time, quiet place, quiet heart to get alone with God. If, that, if that's what was needed in the life of our Lord, guess who else it's needed in? You and I. I'm, I'm saying this because there's a lot of people that are panicking what's going on around us. They're watching the political landscape. They're watching the, the things that are going on. And they're not processing things through the word of God, through the lens of scripture. Listen, the Lord's coming, guys. We're not to run around with chickens with our head cut off, nor sticking our head in the sand like it. emus do that. Is it emus? Not law. I was going to say llama. Emus, right? Don't they stick it in? And I just saw the commercial. Is that I know. <laughs> Jesus said what we're seeing is going to ramp up with more intensity and more frequency. Look up. Jesus said, look up for your redemption draws near. You know what he's saying? Look up. Get your eyes off your circumstances and get your eyes on him. And keep them on him. Looking looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's how we continue to, to to be at rest and at peace. And to be led by him is to keep your eyes upon Jesus. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. We keep our eyes on the Lord. And what do we do? We check back in tomorrow morning with the Lord. We go through the day. We're going to learn about this tonight in in Sunday evening service. Jesus said, I am the door. He who comes in by me will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. That is the Christian life, guys. It's an in and out life. It shouldn't be a roller coaster life of one one week I'm emotionally high. The next week I'm down in the dumps. It should be an in and out life where I'm in for fellowship, in for communion. I get alone with God, and now I go out to shine for him, to reveal Jesus, and I come back in again. It's that simple. Jesus uses an example that would resonate with the people that he was ministering to. It's an in and out life, following the good shepherd. We go in for fellowship, out for witnessing. We go in for time in the word and in prayer, and we go out to shine for the light of the world. It's that simple, you guys. Don't complicate it. Legalists complicate things. Religion complicates things. Jesus makes it super simple because we're sheep, aren't we? Are we sheep? Okay. Verse 18, let's finish it up. Imagine that conversation. Paul goes to Jerusalem, sees Peter, Jesus' half-brother James. Verse 20 says, I'm not messing around. I'm not lying. 
God is my witness. I'm telling the truth. Paul went to these different areas. He says in verse 21 through 23, Syria, Cilicia, Antioch, Tarsus, all these different areas. And notice in the Judean churches, Paul's got a reputation, right? No one knew what he looked like. But all they heard was this guy who tried to wipe us out is now the one preaching the faith he tried to destroy. What was he preaching? Simple faith in Jesus Christ. Not rules, not traditions. And they heard about him. There was a testimony. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a new creation. Look at this dude. Man, he was trying to wipe out the church. Look at the transformation. Look, and then look at who gets the glory. Last verse. Who gets the glory for this? God does. Look what God did. They're like, wow. That's a trophy of God's grace right there. Beautiful. A guy that was bent on destruction. Now he's building up the church. He's serving Jesus. There's only one explanation for that, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen, God will share his glory with no man. There's going to be no boasting in heaven. Do you know that? Anybody glad for that? No boasting. And here's the deal. If you establish a works-based salvation or a rules-based salvation, God will never get the glory. Man does. And God alone is the one who gets the glory. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. It's a free gift, you guys. And Paul reminds them, here's what God did in your life. Here's what God has done in my life. Don't let anyone take you away from that simplicity. Amen? In Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much for this amazing family, Lord, that you've gathered together for such a time as this. I pray, Lord, my brothers and sisters would take away the things that have come from your heart this morning, that you would remove the wheat from the chaff, the precious from the vile. God, we need those things from your word this morning by your spirit to change us, to transform us, that we would make a difference, Lord, with the time that we have left that truly your word would be the most important influence in our lives. That we would hear your voice and follow you and that truly our life would be an in and out life as we follow you, our good shepherd. May you, Lord Jesus, be revealed in us. We need you.